This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, a people's history. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, a people's history, is now streaming on Hulu. You're listening to Code Switch from NPR. I'm Shireen Marisol Meraji. And I'm Gene Demby. Okay, so way back on July 14th. That was like a few months ago. Yeah, over the summertime. <laughs> okay. Probably very hot out. President Trump tweeted the following. So interesting to see progressive Democrat congresswomen who originally came from countries whose governments are a complete and total catastrophe, the worst, most corrupt, and inept anywhere in the world, if they even have a functioning government at all. Now, now loudly, loudly and viciously telling the people of the United States the greatest and most powerful nation on earth, how our government is to be run. Why don't they go back and help fix the totally broken and crime-infested places from which they came? Dramatic Trump tweet readings by our super talented producers. So, not President Trump. Just to clear that up, that was not President Trump. And the Democrat congresswomen he was talking about, they're the squad. Mm -hmm. And for those of you who don't know who the squad are... They are freshman members of the House, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez of New York, Rashida Tlaib of Michigan, Ayanna Presley of Massachusetts, and Ilhan Omar of Minnesota. And it should go without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway. All four of those congresswomen are citizens of the United States. Uh, yeah, because that is how Congress works. And they're all women of color. I have alerts, you know, on my phone. So whenever he tweets, I hear it. I see it. It's right by my, you know, head when I'm asleep. That's Aisha Roscoe. She's a White House reporter for NPR, which means a lot of her job involves paying attention to President Trump's Twitter feed. He's a morning tweeter. So that's why I say, like, I wake up and I'm looking at the tweets. So typically, like, 6 a.m., 7 a.m., he might have sent, like, 20 tweets by that point. (laughs) And, you know, because this is the moment we live in, President Mm -hmm. Trump's Twitter feed has come to assume national, maybe even international importance. Intergalactic, (laughs) perhaps. (laughs) Especially since some months back, Trump basically discontinued those daily press briefings between the press secretary and the White House press corps. So President Trump's Twitter feed is in a lot of ways the main way the Trump administration communicates to the rest of the world. That's how you know what is of importance to him and what is a priority to him. It's the way that he sets policy. Policies like the one lots of people refer to as the Muslim ban. Mm -hmm. If the ban were announced with a one-week notice, the, quote, bad would rush into our country during that week. A lot of bad, quote, dudes out there. Or the recent military withdrawal from Syria. As I have stated strongly before, and just to reiterate, if Turkey does anything that I, in my great and unmatched wisdom, consider to be off-limits, I will totally destroy and obliterate... It's how he announces that he's firing staffers. It's how he endorses his preferred candidates. incredible people of the great state of Wyoming, go, all caps, vote today for Foster Frys. He will be a fantastic governor. And it's where he attacks his political opponents, like when he told the squad to go back to the, quote, places from which they came, unquote. And you talked with Aisha about all of this, starting with where she was when President Trump sent that tweet. It was a Sunday, so I think I was, like, at church. Mm-hmm. And so I tried not to look at you my phone. phone I tried not to look at my phone in church, <laughs> but I think, like, I either saw it before I went in mm-hmm. 
or after. I just remember coming home and going, okay, this is this is this is something. This like this, this is gonna be a thing. And so, quick question. So, okay, so imagine Trump tweets some something like yeah. that before you go into church. Do you like? Do you say to yourself, I can't go to church, I gotta go to work? <laughs> or do you just like, this will be here for me? Well, if I'm not on service? call, I wasn't on call. Okay. So if I was on call, I would have had to probably figure something out. But since I wasn't on call, I could go to church, okay. serve, serve the Lord. <laughs> 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 like I just, you know, but I felt it. And I was like, this is going to change my whole week because, mm-hmm. and this is, this is going to be a thing. And so... From that, I just felt like he was tweeting differently. Like, I felt like, yes, he's always, like, gone after people. And, yes, he's always attacked people. And, yes, he's always targeted lawmakers in particular. But I was like, this feels different. And the amount of times he was tweeting about them, I was just like, this this just seems There was something so, about the texture of his tweets. It was about the texture the of squad. it. Yeah. And the and when Cummings and the volume of it. And it was just like, this just seems like he's taking it up another level. So I... I decided and you know we decided to do this project looking at well how does he tweet about all lawmakers so to see is this different is are there patterns that I could pick up and just look at the way he has tweeted about every single current lawmaker in Congress so you took Trump's tweets in their aggregate which is so many tweets <laughs> it's like, so many so tweets. many tweets um yeah. how did y'all how did y'all like Call all like how did you call it? So so basically, it was me going through like there's a some fact base has this thing of all of President Trump's tweets and you can search by words. Okay. And so basically, it was me going lawmaker by lawmaker and searching thousands of tweets. Yes, thousands of tweets. But the so each lawmaker, I'd have to look up by name to see if he'd mentioned them by name. But the thing about Trump is he doesn't always call people by their name, right? Mm -hmm. So sometimes he calls them, like, nicknames. So I would have to try to figure out the nickname. Mm -hmm. So, like, with Chuck Schumer, you couldn't just look up Schumer and Chuck. You had to look up crying because he (laughs) always says crying Chuck. Like, so you had to, like, so you had to do that. And with some people, he, you you can tell in the context of when he tweeted who he was tweeting about, like Justin Amash. Mm -hmm. He never actually mentioned Justin Amash's name. Mm -hmm. But I knew that he had tweeted about him. He just called him, like, some... Republican or some guy or something, but he did not name him. Just so like, so like, if something was happening in the news that day, you knew Trump was responding to. Yeah, I knew. Yeah, because you knew in the moment that he was talking about him. But with me coming and looking back over time, mm-hmm. it's like I had to kind of figure that out. So it was very intensive, and me putting it into a spreadsheet and like cataloging wow. it as negative, neutral, positive, and also looking at like the race of the person that he was talking about. Okay. Yeah. So broadly, Aisha, what did you find in these tweets? What I found in the tweets is that, yes, President Trump has gone after a a lot of people, made a lot of insults, and in particular, the top people who he's insulted is uh, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, uh, Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer, and Adam Schiff, who's over the House Intelligence Committee. But he's also... Since July, he has increased his tweets and his volume of tweets and the directness of his insults about uh, specifically the squad and about Elijah Cummings, who a black uh, lawmaker who's over the House Oversight Committee. And that the way that he's talked about these lawmakers has been different from the way that he has in the past. But overall, he is escalating overall. So you had this hunch that he was he was tweeting differently 
towards black and brown lawmakers than he was toward everyone else. Was that borne out when you looked at the data? Yeah, yeah. And and it was surprise and it also was borne out that he that it was different what he was doing with the squad and with Elijah Cummings because What was he doing? So the amount of tweets that he was sending about them. So when he started tweeting about the squad, like collectively was like in July. So Mm -hmm. really you've had only like three months of tweets. But in those three months now, based on those tweets and some kind of separate tweets that he's done about individual members of the squad, they are now like the high, like he's tweeted about them more than almost any other lawmaker other than Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer and, uh, Uh, Adam Schiff Hmm. so like just in three months if he tweeted about Nancy Pelosi at the same rate he was tweeting about the squad Mm. she would have like 300 tweets about her Mm -hmm. right like we're talking about freshman lawmakers freshman lawmakers Mm -hmm. and in the house in in the house freshman lawmakers like the amount of just the volume of tweets that he was sending at them was much more Uh, And then just the very specific nature of the attacks on them. Like with Nancy Pelosi, a lot of the tweets, uh, maybe until recently, were just like sometimes they would be specific, saying calling out her district in San Francisco for having homelessness or something like that. But a lot of them were just going like, you don't want to vote for this person because they're a Nancy Pelosi puppet. Like, it was just kind of this general, like, Nancy Pelosi's a liberal, Mm -hmm. and she's a Democrat, and you don't want to, you know, it was, like, tying her to other people. Mm -hmm. Like, it wasn't necessarily, like, Nancy Pelosi's a horrible person. It was just, like, she's not someone you want to vote for, and you don't want to vote for people associated with her. But when it comes to the squad and Elijah Cummings and Maxine Waters. It was was more like, um, you, this is a group of, what, I have a, let me look it up, (laughs) what he said about. So the it was the go back, but then it was also the a very racist group of troublemakers. He mm. called them. Uh, he called them young, inexperienced, not very smart. Uh, hate this country, bad for this country. Uh, you know, uh, very specific to who they were, mm-hmm. and challenging their. I mean, he's challenging everything. Their, uh, you know, their. I think he's called Rashida Talib something along the lines of violent. Like she's, you know, uh, basically saying that they're aggressive and a lot of they hate this country there. I mean, it went beyond just this is a person who I I don't agree with politically. Right. It's saying these are bad people, Mm -hmm. essentially. So you're hunched that Sunday when you're going when you were in church and (laughs) you saw like, wait, this is different. That bore out in the it, data. It bore out. And and there were other things, too, like talking about Maxine Waters, that things that I didn't realize. But he there was like this kind of through line in the way that he talked about certain certain lawmakers. And so with Maxine Waters, Nancy Pelosi and with the squad, he would call them the face of the Democrat Party, uh, which, of course, Democrat, Democrat Party is right, the whole yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. But so but he called all so he called them the face of the Democrat Party. He never called a white male mm-hmm. the face of the Democrat. So he's not calling Joe Biden the face of the Democrat Party. He's not calling white lawmakers who disagree with him Eric Swalwell in the House. He's not calling him the face of the Democrat Party, even though he's very, Eric Swalwell is very critical of President Trump. Mm. He's not calling him the face of the Democrat Party. One person that I talked about, Niambi Carter, who is a political science professor at Howard University, 
Um, you had to do it. I had to you do had it. To I talked to it. other people too, but she did. But you led with her. <laughs> but I led with her because she she's had, a bison. She, she's okay. a bison. But right. no. But what she said was basically like when Trump is pointing at these women in particular, like as the embodiment of everything that America, what he feels like America isn't. It's not black. It's not a woman. It's not Muslim. It's not Latina. And so these women become perfect vehicles for all of that that xenophobia and all of that anxiety that these uh, white voters feel. He's saying to his base, to the people that are concerned about the way America is changing, look at these women. They are not what America is. That's why you have to stick with me or this is what pretty much what America could become. After the break, Aisha tells Jean even more about what she found during her deep dive into the cesspool of Trump's tweets. Shireen, uh, did you know that Trump has a dedicated staffer that he dictates a lot of his tweets to? That's how I imagine this going down. I, I could not actually imagine him sitting there with his thumbs tweeting uh-huh. on, on, you know, a smartphone. And I always imagine that that designated Twitter person would be Stephen Miller. <laughs> but he's like, no, say that she is a whack job. Go. Send that. Send Go. That. Yeah. <laughs> Send it, Stephen. <laughs> 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 Actually, some dude named Dan Scavino. Anyway, stay with us. This message comes from NPR sponsor BritBox, streaming acclaimed original series you won't find anywhere else. With powerful performances from Jodie Whittaker, Tamara Lawrence, Bella Ramsey, Matthew McFadden, and more. Streaming at BritBox.com NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor, the American Cancer Society. By the end of this message, two people will be told they have cancer. Yes, every 15 seconds, someone is diagnosed with cancer. But by the end of this message, you could do something about it with your donation. A gift of any amount to the American Cancer Society can help those facing cancer get free rides to care or a free place to stay closer to treatment. Donate today at cancer.org. This message comes from NPR sponsor Squarespace. Measure your end-to-end online performance with powerful website and seller analytics. Get insights on top traffic sources, understand how your reach is growing, and more. Use code NPR to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Jean. Shireen. Code switch. All right, let's get back to your conversation with Aisha Roscoe from NPR Politics. Let's. All right, so you know when I was talking to Aisha, she says... President Trump talks about the squad a whole lot, but he don't really talk about the whole squad in the same way. I know he tweeted that AOC was a whack job. That was everywhere. But I feel like he has been extra nasty to Ilhan Omar. Yeah, he does pay Ilhan Omar a lot of attention. Aisha said she was actually at a Trump rally in Ilhan Omar's district just last week. And they actually just had her picture on the Jumbotron when he was talking about her. Like, just, he was talking about her, going after her, he's in her district, and then they just had the picture up. And what was the response from the crowd? Well, you know, I mean, they're just, you know, booing and all all of that. Like, they're, you know, they are going along with what he's, he's saying. And I was at that rally back in uh, July where they did chant Cinder back. Omar has a history of launching vicious anti-Semitic screeds. Back, 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 back. 
They haven't done that since then. But where they chanted, send her back. And they were also saying at that rally, traitor. And, you know, I'll go back to Somalia. All these things that they They're were saying. echoing his tweets. What, echoing his tweets. Right. And so I think when they put the picture up, another uh, academic that I talked to, Pearl Dow of Emory University, I mean, what she said was, um, you don't have to, like, a lot of this stuff doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be overt. We see it whether it is said or not. So if we're looking in magazines and we're looking at magazines and we see blonde hair and blue eyes and a size zero woman, we know what is considered a standard of beauty without saying that that's the standard of beauty. If we are looking at um, who was elected to office and if it is a a man who is um, likely to be married and over the age of 45, um, elected to a um, statewide position, we know that without saying it, that this is what we expect our leaders to be. Right. When they're showing a picture of Ilhan Omar, she's a black woman. She's a woman. She has her head covered. She's a Muslim. He doesn't have to say, look, she's not like you. And I can say, I mean, looking at that crowd, there weren't people that looked like Ilhan Omar, many of them. Even though in, in that crowd. Minnesota, there would be a lot of people who look like Ilhan yeah, Omar. Yeah, but, but in that crowd, there were not a lot of people of color. So in a lot of ways, she's, even among these four women, these four women of color, she's the most sort of irradiated. And almost most irradiated as the other indifferent. Mm-hmm. He needs to have the opponent. He mm-hmm. needs to have someone to latch on to to say this person is bad. Uh, and in the squad, he seemed to have found people who are not running for president. Mm-hmm. Because the other thing is he hasn't gone after Kamala Harris and like Cory Booker, who are obviously prominent black lawmakers. But they're running for president. Mm-hmm. And I I can only speculate, but based on what President Trump has said about Elizabeth Warren, he's, for instance, he'll say Elizabeth Warren, he'll say, I went after her too soon. Mm -hmm. I should have waited because now, you know, she's on the upswing and I I went after her too, you know, I I went after her too early. Mm -hmm. So it does seem like he's holding off on going after Cory Booker and Kamala Harris uh, because they're running for president and he doesn't necessarily want to elevate them. Mm -hmm. But with the squad, they're not running for president, but they're also getting a lot of attention. And he was able to just kind of zero in on them. And then he just zeroed in on Elijah Cummings, who was just over oversight Mm -hmm. and doing investigations into him. Has he said anything just outside of the squad? Has he said anything about the other People of color running for for president, Julian Castro. Um, a little bit. Tulsi Gabbard. Yeah, I think he talked about uh, Julian Castro a little bit um, in in relation to his brother Joaquin, mm-hmm. but not not a lot. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, not not many mentions. Kamala Harris has gotten a mention or two, but certainly nothing direct. Cer- certainly not not like really going after her. He hasn't done it. Is that a, is that a function of like? Uh, Cory Booker and Kamala Harris are not polling super well. Like, I mean, there's a way in which Biden and Elizabeth Warren are like more prominent and and potentially like more viable as his uh, opponents in the general election. You know, I talked to um, a a Trump supporter, Mm -hmm. uh, a black conservative, Paris Denard. Um, Uh, Yes, yes. I talked to him. Yes. And so one thing that he pointed out and his thing was this isn't about race. This isn't about gender. And it does not matter if the response is to 
a man or a woman or a black man or a black woman or a white man or a white woman, if the person is attacking him, his family, his policies, his agenda, or his base of supporters, he is going to respond in an equal and opposite reaction, which is, and sometimes it's even more so that because he's very passionate. He's not doing anything based on that, but he, he that but he goes after people based on their influence and based on the attention that they were getting. So he was saying that with the squad, he was going after the squad because they were getting so much attention on social media. They were getting so much attention from, uh, you know, you know, from cable news and all of that. And so what we what I find in the president is that he does not like to engage with people that are uh, not worthy of fighting with or not worthy of engaging with. And so if you are a worthy opponent, meaning you have a large social media following, meaning you have a you are considered very influential across the country, meaning you can uh, attract a lot of people to whatever it is you're talking about, or he's going to uh, engage with them because he thinks it's worth the fight. Like when I brought up Eric Swalwell, he's like, why would he talk about him? He's polling and, you know, zero, you know, zero percent. He wants to go after the people who are getting attention. I think that can kind of be a part of it. I mean, I, it makes sense to me a part of what he he's saying, that he's going after people who get attention. I think with the Kamala Harris and the Cory Booker thing, it does. I would, like I said, it's speculation, but I would I would guess that it may be about not wanting to elevate them. Because there was a point where Kamala Harris in particular was rising. Mm-hmm. After and, that first debate, yeah. And he, didn't, he still didn't go after her. And she's obviously gone after him mm-hmm. directly over and over. And he just hasn't done it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, some Kamala Harris supporters will say because he's scared of Kamala. He don't want to <laughs> <he> don't <laughs> want it from Kamala. I mean, there could be any number of things. But it seems like he, with that, it seems like he's made a choice that mm-hmm. he's not going to go after them in the same way. So it's not just, like, reflexive tweeting. No. There's and, a method somewhere. I mean, that that's what I found. I don't, I don't think it's just because a lot of times, and, and part of the other reason why I like wanted to do this and catalog the tweets because a lot of times people will say well president trump just goes after people who go after him right and he's just a counter puncher Mm -hmm. and that's that's all he's doing if you talk about trump he'll talk about you but when you look at the actual tweets he doesn't go after everybody that talks about him and he doesn't go after everybody in the same way like he just doesn't and i want to be clear i'm not saying he's playing three-dimensional chess or something (laughs) i'm just saying that i think that there is a broader probably framework that these tweets fit in for him like and it isn't all just completely random so i know you worked on a project last year about trump's tweets you are a massacre what are you doing with your life i know um so what was this project last year so the the project last year was about how president trump basically how he tweets about black people Uh and so to do that you have to look at how he tweets about everybody to see if there's a difference and so i was going to for that one i was going to look at all his tweets for like two years but then i started doing it and i was like oh my gosh this man tweets (laughs) this would that would take years so i was like well let me just do three months over the summer like how is he tweeting and, and not just black lawmakers, like black not, folks. No, yeah, just that. everybody. Like mm-hmm. any any person that he mentioned over that three month span of uh, uh over that three month span, 
I cataloged, you know, the race of the person and what he was saying about them. Uh, and that was interesting. So that got tweets about, like, LeBron James when mm-hmm. he was saying Le- LeBron James and Don Lemon were dumb. Uh, he also, I think, had the tweets about Maxine Waters saying she was dumb. And he had called Amarosa Manigault Newman a dog. Um, saying he fired that dog or mm-hmm. what have you. So uh, she was his aide, although it was not clear what exactly she did. She well, she was she worked in the White House. Okay. She worked on HBCU issues. <laughs> what did she do on the HBCU issues? I think she helped with a conference. She helped put a conference together. But so with that, like when I looked at like how it was interesting too because it was happening right ahead of the midterms, mm-hmm. and so a lot of his tweets were uh, basically you know, boosting certain Republicans who were running for office and slamming the Democrats who were running against them. And so one interesting thing that I saw was that he pretty much has this thing where he'll go, vote for such and such. They're tough on crime, tough on the border, great on guns. Uh And then he'll go, don't vote for the Democrat. They're weak on crimes. They're weak on the border. They're weak on guns. (laughs) And so, and that was pretty much like the pattern and a other than for um, in Georgia, uh, when it came to Stacey Abrams, uh-huh. he referred to he he basically said, "Don't vote for um, the the Democrat in this race." He didn't name her, but that's who he was referring to, and he called her crime loving. So instead of saying she was weak on crime, he said she was crime loving. So she crime. loved crime, mm-hmm. and so it was just like there was a different way that he was talking about them and obviously when he's talking about these black people calling people dumb calling black people dumb he's not doing that for everybody he's not calling every person who attacks him dumb but for some reason for these black people who are continuing to show up in his twitter feed they seem more likely to be called dumb Hmm. So I and I say that to say people will often say, well, no, he attacks everybody. I don't really think it's about race because he Trump t- attacks everybody. He does attack everybody. But when you look at what he's actually saying, he will often attack black people, attack people of color in ways that he does not attack everyone else. OK, so you've been swimming in this <laughs> yes, swimming. this yeah. ocean of Trump tweets yeah. for however long. Right. Yeah. What is the wildest thing that the president has tweeted since oh you've been looking at his tweets. Oh my gosh! It's. I mean, it's only it's what it's, it's ten o'clock right now. It's ten o'clock, this, so, I mean, so he could have said. I mean, you yeah. know, I think well, like some of it is just so random, like, and some of it is just stuff you forget. Like, it's not the wildest thing that he tweeted, but like about Elizabeth Warren, I you know going through his tweets, he called her like anxious and skinny, <laughs> and like, it was just like what? When he, like, like, it was just saying, it was just like, huh, what? really? Mm-hmm. I, so some things like that where it's just like, I didn't even remember him saying that, but I guess he did say that. And then when I went through his tweets like last time, like it was just so much about the Russia investigation and it was just the lovers. And it was just, I think sometimes what stands out to me is just like how dark it is. It's like really, really, his tweets are like super negative. And one of the, the Ott, Professor Ott, who I talked to, said that negative tweets travel faster or negative information travels faster on Twitter than anything else. That's why it's very effective for Trump, because 
negative stuff travels faster than positive uh, information. And that's his preferred. And that's like, what he does. Yeah, that's his preferred But it's just, it's very, pitch. yeah, it's very dark. It's just like when you look at his Twitter feed, it's just a lot of these people are bad. They're almost evil. They're, he doesn't necessarily say they're out to get you, but you could get the sense that they're out to get you. Mm-hmm. Now, he doesn't do all his tweeting. He does have someone who um, does it for him. Dan Scavino is like his person that does his tweets for him. Um, so technically, sometimes people will try to guess, like, was this a, a tweet sent by Trump or was this a tweet sent by his staff or was this like a Dan Scavino tweet? I mean, I look at it as all all of these tweets are reflective of Trump, right? Like, if they're going out on his Twitter feed, they're pretty close to what? Mm-hmm. Like, he's not letting things go out on his Twitter feed that he doesn't agree with. And Dan so, Scavino's not saying he's not he's not doing this on his own. No, right? he's not doing it. He's doing whatever he's doing. It is a reflection of Trump. And Trump, it, it, this is this is clearly Trump's baby. It's funny because one of the things about Twitter, and I say this is somebody who tweets a lot, like, uh, is that if I had to, like, actually say my tweets out loud to somebody else, I probably wouldn't tweet half of them. I'm like, oh, wait a second. <laughs> yeah. But he's like, no, say that she is a whack job. Go. Send that. Send Go. that, right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, yeah, no, it's like, yeah. <laughs> but and, and and to say, like, why that I go through the tweets, because I do think that what President Trump says is important because words matter and the words that we send out into the world and tweets and Twitter is like really his primary form of communicating. Mm -hmm. Like that's how you know what is of importance to him and what is a priority to him. Mm -hmm. It's the way that he sets policy. It's the way that he lets us know that, okay, we're pulling out of Syria. Mm -hmm. So all of that is done on Twitter. The Muslim ban. The Muslim ban. All these things happen on Twitter. And so even though like this is the way he communicates. Mm -hmm. And so just like other presidents might have had their letters or their speeches. But for Trump, this is really how you get what he is focused on. That was NPR's Aisha Roscoe. She covers the White House, and she's been awash in President Trump's tweets for a long time. She needs a Dr. Bronner's. <laughs> and Gene, I, I cannot help but wonder if the Trump administration has had anything to say about Aisha's reporting. She said that she reached out to them, obviously, when she was reporting, because that's what responsible journalists do. She said they didn't yep. respond. She said she reached out to them huh. after the story dropped on NPR.org, which y'all should check out. Y'all should check it out there a few days ago. Uh, and they did not respond then. But she also said that, you know, they might be kind of busy right now. Yes, they're just a little bit busy. But we should watch President Trump's Twitter feed. Do we have to? All right, y'all. That is our show. Please follow us on Twitter. We're at NPR Code Switch. You can follow Shireen at Radio Mirage, R-A-D-I-O-M-I-R-A-G-E. You can follow mm-hmm. me at GD215. That's G-E-D-E-E-215. We want to hear from you. Our email is codeswitch at NPR.org. And subscribe to Code Switch on NPR One or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode was produced by Kumari Devarajan, Jess Kung, and Leah Danella, and it was also edited by Leah Danella. And shout out to the rest of the Code Switch team, Karen Cooksey-Bates, Elliot Johnson, Adrian Florido, Maria Paz Gutierrez, and Steve Drummond. Our intern is Angela Vang. I'm Gene Demby. And I'm Shireen Marisol Maraji. Be easy. Peace.
Here's some of what's at stake at the next Democratic presidential debate. Elizabeth Warren is on the rise, but is she the new frontrunner? Bernie Sanders makes his first major appearance since his recent heart attack. Joe Biden is now at the center of the impeachment story. The NPR Politics Podcast will be there after the debate to break down all the moments that matter. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Homes.com. When you're home shopping as a parent, you have lots of questions about local schools. That's why each listing on Homes.com includes extensive reports on local schools, including photos, parent reviews, student-teacher ratio, school rankings, and more. The information is from multiple trusted sources and curated by a dedicated in-house research team. It's also you can make the right decision for your family. Homes.com. We've done your homework. This message comes from NPR sponsor Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, where hundreds of researchers make new discoveries inspired by the work of previous Dana-Farber scientists. Learn more about their momentum at DanaFarber.org slash everywhere. Jasmine Morris here from the StoryCorps podcast. Our latest season is called My Way. Stories of people who found a rhythm all their own and marched to it throughout their lives. Consequences and other people's opinions be damned. You won't believe the courage and audacity in these stories. Hear them on the StoryCorps podcast from NPR.